Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Thank you, Teresa. We're in show 17. Oh, moving right along. I know, we yeah. are. And I'm really, really, um, everybody keeps telling me just how exciting it is to hear this. And I just have to tell them, I, you just have to wait because it keeps getting better and better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, we actually got to St. Louis last time around. Yes, we did. And we're going to talk about that again today. Cleared some land. Yeah, we? clearing some land. If anyone's interested in a really good source on this, it's J. Friedrich Faust's book, Founding St. Louis. came out in 2011. He's a history professor at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, and has done just a wonderful job. So I'll be relying a lot on his research and insights today. And, you know, Monsignor, I had written down his name last week, but would you spell his name yeah. for everyone? Because I can see it from your book, but they can't. So. Yeah, it's uh, F-A-U-F-A-U-S-Z. Right, Faust. like not Faust Park. It's a right. T. It's a Z instead of a T. It's right, yeah. Okay, F-A-U-S-Z, yeah. right? S-Z, yeah. Okay. And I mentioned any of the bookstores here in St. Louis that carry it. Certainly the, uh, the museum bookstore at the History Museum. In right. Forest Parkwood. That's where I got my copy. Well, thanks to him for writing this Yes, definitely. Book. Doing all that research. Yeah. Well, what he did was he constructed, brilliantly, constructed a brief biography of 19 other men who had accompanied Choteau on that founding trip. Oh, So we wow. know a lot about these guys. That's great. Oh, yes, yeah, fascinating. Ten of the 19 were born in Canada. Hmm. Seven of them were Illinois Creole. Okay. And two of them were actually born in France. Okay? Wow. All of them are freemen. There are no slaves that built the settlement. They're all freedmen. All right. And of the 19, he also goes a little bit further into the next generations. Then of the 19, they fathered 106 children. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> And at least six of the 19 had lived long enough in order to see four flags over St. Louis. Oh, wow. Yeah. They thought they saw the uh, uh, fleur-de-lis of uh, Louis XV's France. Of course, he had actually sold it by the time they arrived. But right. But nonetheless, they, they didn't know that. They, so they thought they saw Louis' flag. King Carlos III's flag of Spain. Uh-huh. Okay, definitely. Then... In a quick turnover, in one day, Napoleon's tricolor France. Okay. And then Thomas Jefferson's Stars and Stripes. Wow. Four flags. That's really neat. Yeah. We noticed also that there were no soldiers in this group. These were all uh, civilian contractors. There were no priests. This was strictly a commercial enterprise, but one that would honor French royalty and the Catholic faith, both in the name of the city and its early layout. Father Rothensteiner explains why there were no priests in his history of the archdiocese. In the entire Louisiana, upper and lower Louisiana, there were only two priests available. One of them was an elderly Father Luke Collet, who was infirmed and in hiding in Illinois for fear of the British coming. Mm-hmm. The other one we talked about before was Father Moran, oh, and sure. he's in a jail down in New Orleans pleading with the people there to let him come back. And remember, he makes that deal that he would leave the Jesuits in order to return to the people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, People once, think they have it bad now. <laughs> you talk about a pre-shortage, huh? That is a pre-shortage. Yeah. Well, once uh, he, he was freed, Father Moran did come up north, and we have evidence of his visit as early as 1766. So St. Louis is found in 1764. There is a priest available for services uh, and sacraments by 1766. Uh, there's a, a baptism that took place. Uh, the notation is in the country of the Illinois in St. Louis, in a tent for want of a church. So they put that uh, uh, that up there. Um, he signed his name also as Father Moran, priest of Our Lady of the Cahokias. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there is a real strong working relationship between, you know, the east side and the west side of the Mississippi River here. You know, they were, they were calling... They didn't call this Missouri. Right. They, they called it Illinois. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were just across the river at that point. So. Yeah. yeah. Or we still are just across the river from them. <laughs> yeah. So we also know the name of the girl who was the first one to be baptized here in St. Louis. Oh, it was a girl. Okay. Her, yes, a little girl. Her name was Mary Deschamps. And that's an interesting thing because that name is not among the original 22 who landed on February 15th of 1764. So she came, or her family came in one of the later waves, in okay. a series of waves okay. that takes place. The second baptism is really interesting also, and that was a, a little boy, and his name was Antoine. And the notation said that he was the son of a Pawnee slave named Lizette. Hmm. Now, that tells us a lot. Uh, one of the things it tells us is that there were slaves who were Indians. There were Indian slaves. It also shows that although St. Louis was founded by freemen, that very early on, within the first couple of years, there would be slaves in St. Louis. Okay. okay. Here we see also this little boy is being baptized. And so he's going to be treated differently among the French Creole than that popularized version of the vast cotton plantations in the Deep South. Right. So slavery has a different connotation in uh, in colonial St. Louis than it does there. So the first task for Auguste Choteau was to cut down the trees on that bluff and then to clear out all the brush and then to set about building, first of all, a warehouse that was going to be, he called it a shed, but it was 50 feet by 30 feet, some shed. <laughs> yeah. Then they would also be building cabins for themselves, and these would be small, modest log cabins. But until then, and this is the thing that gets me, is that until they had those cabins built, they slept on scaffolding six to seven feet in the air. And this is in February. Oh, it was in February. I was going to say, what, what time of year are we talking yeah. about? Yeah, okay. yeah. Wow. So while that's happening over the next several uh, weeks, over the next couple months, where the uh, clearing is, is being made, the warehouse is being built, the uh, little cabins are being built, okay, Laclede is, is not with Choteau. He's, he's given this over to a 14-year-old mm -hmm. boy. He's back over in Illinois trying to encourage more and more of the Creoles there to leave and come over to, to over. this side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What happens then is on June 15th of 1764, uh, there is what, what Professor Faust refers to as the second wave. Okay. And that's coming from Fort de Chartres itself. So what happens is that the French are, are in the process of evacuating the fort, because mm -hmm. the British are going to be coming soon. 
And so the uh, commander of the of the fort, uh, that's uh, Noyon de Vier, which we talked about before, remember, mm-hmm. he evacuates his garrison, and he's going to take some 21 bateaux, boats, along with some seven large canoes, and he's going to bring with him his marines, some 63 marines, and 80 civilians. Wow. And they've decided to go to New Orleans. Okay. Okay, so they're on their way down there. However, both everybody else in that area around Prairie de Roche stayed there. Others, on the other hand, either left for St. Genevieve or for St. Louis. Okay. And so that second wave then adds something of a something like 40 families come to St. Louis in that in that second wave. Many of these were persuaded to move because around that time, the area around Fort de Chartres uh, flooded. I was wondering if that's why they slept on scaffolding. Oh, no, no. Uh, that was to keep the, the animals river. away from Okay, yeah, that's right. okay. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, Shoto and his people were on that big bluff. Right, yeah. so they don't yeah. have that, no, the yeah, flooding problem. But the... And then also, uh, there, there are a whole bunch of French Creoles that were living in Cahokia who also move over to St. Louis around the same time. Okay. But they only stay for a short while because there are a whole bunch of Missouri Indians all of a sudden arrive in St. Louis. Well, they wanted to move in. Uh And there's an interesting thing that we're going to talk a little bit about how all this happens. The Cahokia people then turned around and they went back to Cahokia because they didn't want to be that close to those Indians. Okay, okay. Yeah. So what's this all about? Well, it's an intertribal affair. The Osage are, that's the number one nation in, in Missouri. Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, big. Okay. And we'll talk a lot about them. They're, they're really incredible. And Laclede had already, was in the process of signing a pact with the Osage, a commercial agreement that they would be working together. Oh, right. Okay. The Osage then, they started taking the weaker nations in, in Missouri and driving them away. Oh, not driving and bring them in, but no driving away, pushing them out. And okay. so the Missourians, they themselves, and that's why they came to St. Louis because oh. they were kind of being pushed okay. uh, in in their particular area there. Okay. So there had been raids on some of the Missouri villages already. Some of them as as much as two hundred miles away. The Osage were tremendous. Uh, they had a, a wonderful light cavalry that could travel long distances and and give a lot of clout. They also, the, the Missouris, recognized that that their population was declining. They had already been ravaged by some diseases that had been brought in from Europeans, you know. Uh, then also added to that, the Algonquins up in the Great Lakes area had raided into them mm-hmm. several times, too. So, you know, they're, they're down to about 150 warriors and about 450 other people. Okay. So it's about 600 people is all, all they have. And so they came to St. Louis, and basically they were looking for protection. Uh-huh. You know, that led to the panic from the Cahokia French, who then fled. And here's this 14-year-old boy, Shoto, sure, and he sure. said, what am I going to do now? I better get a professional in on this. So he sent word down to Fort de Chartres mm-hmm. to Laclede. Get up here right away. I need your help. And uh, so that's what happens then is that Laclede leaves Fort de Chartres. He's still encouraging people to pack up and go to the other side of the river. But he goes up to, um, to now this little village that's being built, St. Uh-huh. Louis. He holds a three-day meeting with the leadership of the of the Missouri. Okay, so the chiefs. Okay. And, and basically 
they said to him, they said to the Laclede, they, that they were like ducks and like geese. They were vulnerable, and they wanted to live where the new French uh, settlement was, where they would be safe. Okay? So Laclede ends his talks. He spends the night thinking, how am I going to talk to these people the next day? And then he comes back the next day, and he gives them the following speech. And this is uh, recorded, and it's in uh, this wonderful book, The Seeking St. Louis, that I mentioned before. And I'd like to just read to you uh, the response by Laclede on all of this. You told me yesterday that you were like ducks and like geese who traveled until they found a fine country where was beautiful open water that they might rest there and obtain an easy living. And that you, the Missouris, who were worthy of pity, resembled them because you traveled like them to find a place to settle yourselves and that you did not find anyone more suitable than where you are at present that you wished to farm a village around my house where we should live together with the greatest friendship. Well, I reply to you in a few words, and I will say that if you follow the example of the ducks and the geese in settling yourself, you followed bad guides who have no foresight because if they had any, they would not put themselves into open water so that the eagles and the birds of prey could discover them easily which would never happen to them if they were in woody places and covered with brush. You Missouris, you will not be eaten by eagles, but by these men who have raged war against you for a long time past, who are not in great numbers against you, who are few, will kill your warriors because they will offer resistance and will make your women and children slaves. Behold, what will happen to you for wishing to follow, as you say, the course of the ducks and the geese, rather than the advice of men of experience? You women who are here present and who listen to me, go tenderly caress your children. Give them food in plenty. Also to your aged parents, press them close in your arms. Lavish upon them all the evidences of the tenderness uh, affection until the fateful moment which shall separate you from them and that moment is not far distant for if your men persist in their intention to settle here i warn you as a good father that there are six or seven hundred warriors at fort de chartres who are there to make war against the english which occupies them fully at this moment for they Turn their attention below Fort de Chartres, from whence they expect the English. But if they learn you are here, beyond the least doubt, they will come to destroy you. See now, warriors, if it be not prudent on your part to leave here at once, rather than to remain to be massacred, your wives and children torn to pieces, and their limbs thrown to dogs and birds of prey, recollect. I speak to you as a good father. Reflect well upon what I have told you, and give me your answer this evening. I cannot give you any longer time, for I must return to Fort de Chartres. Wow. Wow. And, and what happened was the Missourians 
thought twice about staying in St. Louis, and so they decided then to move on, basically back into the interior of Missouri, to take their chances. Uh, okay. in, you know, in in that uh, instead. Now, what Laclede did the next day when they came back and said, "You're right, we're not going to do the geese and duck thing. We're <laughs> out of here." Laclede then turned around and gave them iron tools. Gave them iron tools ammunition, and corn in order to take care of themselves uh, when they would get back. He also, uh, during that time, commissioned the Missouri women to dig a root cellar underneath the warehouse, uh-huh. Okay, and then paid them oh, uh, for great. that. Mm-hmm. So all this gives the Missouris a, a good taste for St. Louis, mm-hmm. and they're going to trade in peace for the next 25 years. Great. It's good. Yeah, and that's, that, that's Laclede's idea behind all of this. He puts into motion the idea of close friendships. Mm-hmm. Uh, between the Indians and the French, and it's going to be done through conferences and through rendezvous. They're going to stay with each other, especially the Shotos spent long months living among the Osage and uh, later on. But the key is not to live in proximity to each other. They're two very different peoples, very different cultures, Mm -hmm. and so that's not a good thing. And and so, it, in the end, it, it'll be the Osage who'll be the principal allies in this commercial venture. Very important relationship. Great. The Missouri and the Osage then got along after they, they all this? They will be, yeah. They, okay. they will be, yeah. Well, good. That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad we, they all couldn't get along all the time. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, that, yeah. We are people, aren't we? <laughs> are we, though, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, before we turn our attention to the third and the fourth wave of immigration, uh-huh. I want to talk a little bit about the town plan Laclede drew up and Auguste Choteau uh, went ahead and executed. Okay, that sounds okay. great. The basic design was similar to New Orleans. That is to say, there were regular streets running parallel and perpendicular mm-hmm. to to the, the river to the river at right angles. Okay, and then we saw the same pattern also in Kaskaskia. This is typical of the French to do something like this. In St. Louis, the pattern is that there are three main north-south streets. Okay, now if we think in terms of the riverfront, okay, mm-hmm. and then we go back about where, halfway between the steps that go down to Lenore K. Sullivan Drive and okay. the arch itself, okay. you would have a 38-foot wide street running parallel to the river, okay, and and the uh, the limestone bluff that was there. Okay. It was named the Rue Principal, the main street. Okay. Okay. And, and so, like I say, it's just east of, of where the arch is today. Then go west another 300 feet, okay? And there's another street that's running. And that would, that street today is between the arch and and the old cathedral, okay? Oh, okay. And so it's okay. running north and south. It's a, it's a 38-foot-wide street again, and this is called Rue d'Eglise, okay. uh, Church Street. Mm-hmm. Go another 300 yards, and now we've gone... Beyond the old cathedral, where the old cathedral is today, on perhaps on the west side of the depressed sessions of okay. Highway 70. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and there's another street that runs there. Uh, so you've got 300, 300, 300. Mm-hmm. So it's 900 feet away from uh, the the steps going uh-huh. down. Okay, and that's called a Rue uh, de Grange, Street of Barns, and oh, that's Barnes. that's the limit. That's okay. the limit of St. Louis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. 
So it's not much more than just the arch grounds. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, yeah. Now beyond that, if you think in terms of the uh, the terrain, beyond that you have you go up a bit to where the old courthouse is mm-hmm. today. Okay, that first brow, uh, all of that's open territory, and then beyond that. As you go down again, and, and, and you know, we're uh, all the way up to Jefferson. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. All of that is just open prairie. Just, uh-huh. Yeah. That's the country. And it's country, <laughs> yeah. And it's for anybody to use. And that, that was called simply the Prairie St. Louis. Okay. It's fields, forests, and as I say, open for any citizen to, to grazing, yeah. cutting wood, collecting firewood, things like that, and also for hunting small game. Oh, okay. Good. So yeah. Provide a little bit of meat to mm-hmm. their stuff. Uh, basically, it's it's uh, thirty eight hundred acres of of ground, all the way up to I think I said Jefferson. I, I uh-huh. meant uh, Tucker, twelfth oh, street. Oh, Tucker. Okay. Up, yeah, twelfth okay. street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so those are the three main streets, mm-hmm. and then going east west. Okay, the perpendicular streets. There were some eighteen streets of those oh. and they're 30 feet wide so they're not nearly as, as wide as they're not as wide as the others they're running perpendicular to the river and to the limestone bluff and slightly south of the center were the two principal roads that ran east and west okay and these roads would define the most important blocks of the village okay so what you had then is is that that one block. They're called one Rue de la Place uh-huh. and the other was Rue de la Tour. Today they're Market Street and Walnut. Okay. Okay. And uh, these are these are the important things. So let's imagine that you have these blocks that are that border the bluff on the east, okay? And that and then out to Rue Persepla. Okay. And that block, and then on the on the north side is Rue de la Place, the south side is Rue de la Tour. It's a block, a city block of 300 feet by 240 feet. And nothing is is built there. It's open, open ground, and it's called La Place des Armes, the place of arms. Arms, okay. Yeah. And it's, it's meant for militia drill. Um. But uh, also for public assemblies, public markets, things of that nature. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, so that's a civic block. Mm-hmm. Then when you go west, the uh-huh. next 300 by 240 block there, that's set aside for Pierre Laclede specifically for his residence, which would double as the headquarters for Maxent Laclede et Compagnie. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. So that's the commercial heart of St. Louis. Right. And basically where that is today, if you were to uh, look at it, it's, it's basically the south leg of the St. Louis Arch. Oh, my, okay. Okay. And then heading a little bit further west. And then beyond that is another 300 by 200 block. And that's set aside for a Catholic church and a cemetery. Okay. And that, of course, is where the old cathedral is today. Mm-hmm. The Basilica mm-hmm. of St. Louis is today. But until 1870, there was nothing on that block <laughs> except for uh, the tent. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> There's a very interesting and haunting photograph that that Professor Faust has in his book, uh, The Founding of St. Louis. And it shows what happened is in 1942, all of the buildings in that whole area were all bulldozed, all taken down. The only thing left was the old cathedral itself. It's the only building that you're just standing there. Everything else was demolished. Wow. But when you removed all the buildings, the roads were still there. 
And so you actually see an aerial photograph of the original setup. That, so you could see the kind of plots. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it's really uh, quite extraordinary. And, of course, all that remains then is the outlines of the three north-south streets and uh, some of the uh, east-west, the nine of the east-west streets. And then you've got the old cathedral, boom, right right there. So that was on in 1942? 1942, yeah. That's late. I mean, started- my father's alive, you know. My, actually, my father's headed off to war about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. But uh, they had, e- e- that early, they had wanted to go ahead and uh, do something with the with the grounds, which uh-huh. ultimately became, of course, the, the National arch, Expansion. Right? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, the arch. It, it's, it's rather ironic, though, <laughs> that the event that overtakes that particular grounds is, is actually the turnover of 1803, not the founding of 1764. Oh. You know, the entire, with the exception of the old cathedral, the entire old St. Louis, Colonial St. Louis, is wiped out. It's covered over, and the arch is put there instead, mm-hmm. commemorating what? Uh, Louisiana Purchase. Yes. Not the founding of St. Louis. Right, right. So it, it's kind of ironic in, in some ways um, that, that that happens the way it does, but that's, well, that's what we have. Huh. It's also ironic that the that the colonial pattern that was set by Laclede and executed by Choteau and is now buried beneath the federal government land is is exactly the way St. Louis will develop. In the center of St. Louis, as it developed and grew westward, it carried with it the civic, commercial, cultural, religious institutions right from the beginning. Okay, because this is, I think, really important for us in St. Louis today. When you think about, if you take that spot right there where where we're talking about, and then go west, what do you have? There's an axis there. You have Laclede's center blocks, and you think City Hall is right along that axis, Union Station, Christ Church Cathedral, the public library, that beautiful Mm -hmm. library has been rebuilt, Soldiers Memorial, Keener Plaza, the Olive Boulevard, Lindell Boulevard line, St. Louis University, St. Louis Cathedral, Washington University, I forgot Forest Park, Mm -hmm. go out into the country, Clayton, Mm -hmm. the county seat, and the most exclusive townships in St. Louis. All the rest of us live to the north or the south of it. That's right. But, yeah, so St. Louis is itself, today, in 2014, is still, uh, 250 years later, dominated by that, that, that central central block. Yeah, that yeah. really does. I've, I have had noticed how much is on that drive, just straight in, especially... Yeah from like Lindell and going down and headed all the way straight down to the yeah. arts. All the great all the institutions, important. all the important institutions, uh, civic and, and religious and cultural, are right along that. They that, really are. Yeah. And it's pretty impressive to drive down that, that road. Well, we are out of time for okay. today. And I know we can keep going and going because there's so much that we're, we're discussing here. And what a wonderful show, Monsignor. Thank you so much. Great, certainly. Again, this was show number 17. Thank you. Great. We close with prayer. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, and is now, now, and ever shall be. be, world without end. Amen. St. Louis, King of France. Pray for us. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the program, and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.